here at Bible Baptist, we have been learning from a very good, an awesome book in the Bible uh, called Nehemiah. And um, uh, this, this book is a personal record by Nehemiah of what he thought, he felt, and what he did is he left a few thousand families in a massive reconstruction project. The Jews had returned from captivity, and they had come back to the rubble of their city. And they came to rebuild. And let me be real plain. The Bible is about rebuilding. And you better let God do some fixing in your life and heart, uh, because all the devil wants to do is destroy. So don't help the devil. Help God, will you? Now, they were surrounded. The Jews were surrounded. This little bitty pile of rubble called ancient Jerusalem, was surrounded by their enemies, the Samaritans. So now you understand why the Jews later um, uh, on, about uh, 500 years later, um, um, when, the, when the Jews had to go up to Galilee from Jerusalem, they always went around Samaria. They had a bad attitude about the Samaritans because Samaritans had been their enemy and had done a lot of damage. <clears throat> Now, uh, they were surrounded by these enemies. They were threatened by their enemies. The people trying to eke out a little bit of life in that rubble were under constant danger. They lived in the real fear of being killed by their enemy. Nehemiah only knew that high, strong walls would be able to keep back the enemy. They couldn't just get along with the Samaritans. They had to put a wall there and keep them out of their homes and out of their lives. So... Nehemiah began to rebuild as we've gone through Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Nehemiah began to rebuild those broad, high walls, three and a half kilometers around of, of, of uh, I can't remember exactly the height. I want to say about 15 feet high and 20 feet thick. But that was not enough. Building those walls was not enough. They were vulnerable while they were building those walls. And, walls. and haven't you noticed that you're vulnerable when you're trying to do right? As soon as you set in a direction to try to do something right, the devil just comes at you. And God gave you weapons in order to push him back. <clears throat> we talked about that at camp. And so in chapter 4, Nehemiah says to all the people, carry you a weapon at your side. So while you're building, if you ever got threatened by an enemy, you can fight back. And they did, and it put them at bay. Now our enemy is against anything that God loves. There is such a bitterness and hatred in Satan's heart and mind that anything that, that, that has God's attention, he wants to destroy. It's like a little child. <laughs> and that includes his desire to destroy every human family. It's no wonder that the ideal of a Christian home almost doesn't exist. It's because he's tearing at it, destroying it pressuring it, lying about it, tempting. The temptations in the Christian family and in the Christian home are almost unbearable. Gentlemen, we need to fight for our families. I want to show you chapter 4 and verse 10 here in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 10. Now Judah is talking about the tribe of Judah. It was a small group of people at that time in, uh, uh, in the, the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. They all came and they said, the strength of the bearers of burdens, the workers, is decayed. We're tired. There is much rubbish so that we were, are not able to build the wall. We, we just, we're not able to do this. Verse 11. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them. 
and cause the work to cease. So the rumor mill and all the innuendos and all of the, uh, uh, the, the, the intelligence was that the Samaritans were planning secret attacks and nobody would know they were there until they just appeared in their, in their sitting rooms and they started to kill. So verse 12, and when it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they'll be upon you. No matter where you go, they're going to attack us. Verse 13, therefore, said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, you've got a weapon right in your hand. You've got a whole bunch of weapons that God gave you. They're not physical. They're not swords and shields and bows. They're the, the, the truths of the Word of God. They're the very words of God. It's a shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But he gave them, and he told them, use your swords, your spears, and your bows. Verse 14. And I looked. This is Nehemiah saying. And I rose up. And I said unto the nobles and to all the rulers and to the rest of the people, be, ye, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. That's the older word for terrifying. God is terrifying. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. What's he telling them? Don't, don't wimp out. Don't, don't stay at home and leave your kids to go to church. Don't. Don't let other people read the Bible, and don't let the pastor be the only one that reads and studies his Bible. Fight for your family, because the devil wants to destroy it. And I'm not here capable of saving your family. I'm responsible for saving mine, amen? So we need to fight for our families, and that, that has a very important opposite, and that is stop fighting against them. Because we are good at fighting one another, and God says fight for them. Secondly, it starts with loving your wife, gentlemen. It really does. Probably the most important thing you need to do well is to love your wife. Not that you ignore loving your children, but that if you do this well, a lot, if not most, of the problems in your home will greatly fade. Men believe they already do love their wives. Remember the story of the man at breakfast, and he's got his newspaper there. I don't know if anybody reads newspaper at breakfast anymore. The man's reading his paper in front, of the new, uh, in front of his wife. His wife is across the table, and she's sobbing, crying. Husband doesn't look up from the paper, and she says, You don't love me? Still looking at his paper, he says, Sure I do. She says, No, you don't. We don't talk. We don't do anything. You just sit there and read the paper, and then you go sit in front of the TV. You never tell me you love me. But he tilts his head around from beside the paper, and he announces, Dear, I told you I loved you 42 years ago when we got married, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. You know, most men really think they love their wife, but we don't. We don't. Not like we should. Not like Christ loved his bride, the church, the body of believers. And not like our wives need us to. I want us to take a, you know, most of us think, I'll show my wife some love, you know? And there's a... There, we need to learn. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing your wife flowers, but there's a much better way, a much different way that Christ says. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, husbands, bring your wife flowers. doesn't say that. So let's find out what the Bible says we need to do by going to Ephesians chapter 5 and learn how to love our wives. Because, And I want to show you what a husband's love should look like. Ephesians chapter 5. And again, like I said, I cut this message so that we can go do the baptism. I'll deal with this again some more next week. <laughs> the men have just been warned. Ephesians 
You see, um, we need to take a good look at what the love of a Christian husband ought to look like so that we can not only compare ourselves, not with ourselves, but with, with God's expectations, but also so that we can know what areas we need to work on. The world says happiness is based on how much love you can get. You know you're happy when you're loved. It's guaranteed. I don't care who you are. When somebody hugs you, somebody says they love you. When somebody does something for you, it makes your day. But the world says happiness is only based upon how much love you can get, while Christ says, and he proves, that happiness comes from how much love you can give. It's a whole lot harder to do it, but there's a whole lot more rewards. We know our wives in some areas they need to work on. Men, say amen. One, his wife's not here. <laughs> that's about as brave as you could ever get. <laughs> I know, that's what I said, his wife's not here. We know our wives have some areas they need to work on. I talked to them, but we men have more areas. Ladies, you can say amen to that. <laughs> it's all right. Let's, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us hear his word. Father, um, we always want to hear the messages about things that don't affect us, that are kind of way out there in the future or way back in the past. Makes us uncomfortable. Makes me uncomfortable when I have to deal with things that make me feel guilty, make me feel like a failure. But you put this in the book and you told me to preach in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. You told me to preach the whole counsel of God when it crosses me and when it convicts me and when it upsets others because that's the only way you fix things. We can't fix things by ignoring them. We have to deal with them. And I pray that we are, going to, are ready to deal with it wisely. Lord, us men, especially us husbands, are not what we should be. And I don't know how our wives don't give up on us more often. So I ask that you would help us to be soft this morning and to hear and to yield and let you change us. Lord, save our homes, please. Give us revival where it really counts in our hearts and in our homes. Because there's a devil out there who's surrounded us, who is constantly putting the stress and the pressures on us, and, and we're, we're, not, we're not doing well. So, Lord, I need your help. And we all do. I pray that we would learn to love our wives like Christ loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> I need you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to surprise you, ladies and gentlemen. I've got to first talk about what a Christian husband is before I tell you what he's supposed to do, okay? And drum roll, please. A Christian husband is a man. Chapter 5, verse 21. <laughs> Shouldn't be 21. Sorry, I'm looking for 31. 31. For this cause shall a one. You know, there's a new, there's another new gender neutral Bible being developed. It's done this time by the Church of England over in America. Every cult comes from America. <laughs> But there has been a big push since the 1970s, 1980s to get rid of manhood and womanhood and 
and gender, so they want everything to be a one. But it's not what the Bible says. Therefore, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. I know there's a lot of confusion about what, what it means to be a man, but I know this, a man is designed differently than women. He looks different, he smells different, he walks different, he shaves different, I hope. He thinks differently, he talks differently, he sleeps differently, he works differently. He plays rough, he does riskier things. That's why women live longer than men, okay? Because we just are stupid, we risk we do riskier things. The media for the past 50 years has been pushing the pipe dream that men and women are the same. Seriously, Time Magazine, I tried to find it, said, settled, men and women are the same. Somebody closed their eyes. Do you know there are 11 big ways that men and women are completely different? They are different in, in physical strength. That's why transgender athletes will always win. They bring some queer into a, an all-girls running race, and that man who thinks he's a woman beats them all. Why? He's different. And yet they seem to allow these people to get into all these things. It is wrong. Hey, men or women are different in processing emotions. I know men have none. But we process emotions differently. Just because your husband's not crying doesn't mean he's not emotional. They're different in reproduction functions. They're different in personalities. You know, there's a difference between being masculine and feminine, aren't there, amen? Do you really want your husband feminine? Will you please get in touch with your feminine side? No! Come on. We are different in body shape. We are different in stamina and stress bearing. There are women who can carry that baby for eight hours. And a man, after 15 minutes, he's trying to find a, 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 a rubbish bin <laughs> to hide the kid. But there is stress that a man can bear that a woman can't. We're different in multitasking. I mean, a woman can do 17 things and a man's working on two. They're different in aggression. Men express aggression physically. Women express it with their fingernails and with their words. It's not fair. We're different in our cold feet. Ladies have cold feet. I mean, it is scientifically proven. How about ligaments? Women have looser ligaments than men, which gives them greater range of movement. Easier to do things like the splits and stuff. Some guys can do it, but most of us, we're worthless. And you know what? Men literally have bigger hearts than women. I'm just, I'm actually, there's been studies. A woman's heart is about two thirds the size of a man and beats fewer times per minute than a man's. Just because a man's heart is bigger doesn't mean it's actually better. Men are by design different than women. That doesn't mean they're superior than women, but they are different. We've got to start there. All right? If I'm going to talk to men, I've got to talk to people who want to be men. Okay? He's a man. Secondly, he's a Christian. We're talking about a Christian husband. Go to Colossians chapter 1. You're in Ephesians. Go to the right. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. If you're a Christian man, it's not because you were baptized, it's not because you joined a church, it's not because you own a Bible, it's not because you can quote the Lord's Prayer, not because you know the Apostles' Creed, not even because you went to a seminary. 
You're a Christian because of Christ in you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us, he's changed us to be meet, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into a whole new kingdom, the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, that's salvation, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. A Christian... A Christian husband is not religious or educated or wealthy or strong or great or good-looking. He's saved. Amen. Amen. That's all he is. You say, well, I wish my husband was good-looking. Well, if he's saved, you got a good man. Amen. Saved by the grace of God. You know, a, a Christian husband who knows that he's a wicked, lost sinner, headed for hell, and has at a time in his life when he was at the end of himself, when he believed in Jesus as his only Savior from sin and hell, when that man turns to Christ, he was a new creature. From that moment on, he's never going to be a perfect man, but he's a better man. He's a new man. He's in the kingdom of God, learning to trust God about everything. That's a Christian. See, he patterns his life to be like Jesus. At camp, we were trying to teach kids about purity, about living right. But we emphasized, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about being Christian. Christian just says, I'll follow Jesus all the way home. He's a Christian man. Thirdly, He's the head of your home. Go back a few pages. A Christian husband is head of the home. That's what he is. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. For the husband wants to be the head of the wife. Is that what the Bible says? <laughs> That's not what it says, is it? The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And I'm talking about everything that doesn't go across the Bible. The Christian, unless you want to argue and fight for the rest of your life, your husband's in charge. That is if you want a Christian home. Now, a lot of people don't want a Christian home. They want a home in their image. They want a home like they imagine. They want a home like they've seen on TV. Well, I found that the world will say any kind of home will do where whoever is strongest is in charge. You know what that means? In some homes, the kids are in charge. In some homes, angry mama is in charge. And in some homes, bully dad is in charge. The truth is your kids need your, dad, need your husband to be in charge. They are designed to look to dad to lead. It is how God designed. Every wife needs a biblical kind of husband, not a guy who sits on the couch, but who leads by example and by personal sacrifice. Your family can survive without a dad. Your family can survive without a mom. Your family can survive without children because God can make up for a lot of failures and for a lot of holes in the home. But that's not how it was designed, and that's not how it works best. So if you got a husband, ladies, and he's saved, even if he's not saved, let him lead. I'll talk about that more. He's responsible for a lot. Your husband's supposed to do five things in your home. Number one, he's supposed to protect everyone in that home. That's the job of the dad. You know, every, every kid grows up wanting to be a hero. Well, you are a hero of your home, gentlemen. You are a provider of your home. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If any man provide not for his home, he's worse than infidel. So I'm supposed to work a job. I'm supposed to break my butt trying to make sure the bills are paid, not 
writing and getting another entitlement, not trying to get my wife to make up for the lack of, of income. There may be times, and there are times, when both of you have to work. There's nothing wrong with hard work, but it ought to be, it is wired into us, gentlemen, that we take care of the bills. Because that's what it means to be the provider of the home. And we're in charge of punishing, correcting, and chastising wrongdoing in our home. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hold your place here in Ephesians. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Many a home has the misunderstanding that mama corrects the children. Let me tell you, it, it doesn't work like it should. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. I don't know what it was like in your home. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was over the top. Let me tell you, the Bible says that there is a way to do it right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had mothers of our flesh which corrected us. Is that what it says? No, we had fathers. Oh, that fathers would take responsibility for me, being the ones who correct the wrongs in the home. We've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Oh, my goodness. When my dad crossed his eyes at me and glared, I sat up straight. I didn't know what I did wrong, but I knew I was going to get it. Amen. My mom would have to repeat my name three times where I come. My dad would whisper, and I was running. We gave them reverence. Well, shall we not much... Uh, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto God, the Father of spirits, and live? So he's given it a comparison. Like your dad corrected you, God corrects us too. And a husband is responsible for patterning, which means leading the home as an example to follow. Go back to Ephesians and look at chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. You know, uh, a lot of people, I, I hope that ladies, if you have a husband and he comes home and he brings dirt in from a hard day's work, and he comes home and he's wrecked tired, and you're tired too, I know, but when he comes in and he kicks off those shoes at the door and he goes and sits down and collapses on the couch, that you do not go, you did it again! Trample dirt into my clean hallway there. Get your rear out of that couch and come pick up your shoes. If you treat your husband like that, I, I'm ashamed of you. Too many women are too flippant saying, well, he should, he should respect my clothes. You need to respect, he may be stupid. And he may be insensitive, but he's trying to provide. Amen. Amen. Now, he may need a little nudge, a little encouragement, just not the anger. He's responsible. So when he comes in and he shows and he's got his dirty, oh, man, I wish you wore better clothes to work. I wish you looked better. I wish you shaved more. Be careful, be careful. He's different than you, okay? And he's trying to take responsibility. Honor a man who desires to be a pattern for his kids to follow. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Live your life that brings them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Your pattern, your life, your words, your reactions, your love for your wife ought to be a pattern to your Kids, when I, got, when I got engaged to Nita, one fear I had was that I would blow it like my dad blew it. After 21 years, my dad said, bye-bye. I didn't have a good pattern to follow. My dad never held my mom's hand, never that I saw. My dad never took my mom out on a date. My dad, you know, my dad did... It, when we were traveling, you know what my dad did? He'd get in the car. We're not stopping for six hours. And he meant it. And we, it just was, he wasn't a harsh. Don't, don't get the idea. He was just this ogre. But 
he just didn't show affection to my mom. I had no idea how to show affection to that woman if it weren't for some Bible preachers who taught on the family in church when I got saved. And when I was in Bible college, encouraging to read books about it and read the Bible and just take it seriously. And then when I got married, I said, here I go. I'm going to dive in and try it. If you ask my wife, she'd say, eh, eh, he's okay. <laughs> but wow, man, wouldn't it be great to have a Christian mom and dad who patterned what love is for their kids instead of some filthy, wicked actor on TV? But the highest responsibility a man is responsible for above it all, he's responsible for loving his wife. Go to Ephesians 5, 25 now. 525, husbands, this is the whole message. You know, if you got this, if everybody just said, amen, I got it, we go home. I know you won't. And if you did say amen, you're lying. Ephesians 525, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That is our highest responsibility. Now, I know you leave all the gushy, mushy stuff to the wife, but that's pretty stupid. Love your wife. You know why? Because you need her. Uh, Genesis 2.18 says, therefore, uh, sorry, uh, uh, God said it is not good that a man should be alone. So he made him a help me, a wife. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Go back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 and 2. Husbands, you need that woman. Ladies, your husband needs you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, and we're talking about unmarried people, to avoid fornication, which is where touching will take you, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. You need to realize a husband is almost nobody without his wife. It is true. A man needs a wife. Now, I don't care. You can be 40 years old and get married and be great. Amen. Praise God. But, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a, de uh, a demeaning. I'm looking for a better word. There's a mockery of marriage today. Women have to pursue their career. That's all fine. Do whatever you want. I would rather do what God wants me to do. Pursuing career and going along and doing everything that the world says you have to be to be successful. Let me tell you, you kind of have regrets after a while. Don't demean getting, getting married and being there for your husband. And gentlemen, do not demean getting married and being there for your wife and saying, you know what? We were designed to be together. Ladies, you are so needed by your husband even when he doesn't think he needs you. We men fall apart without our wives. We may not let on, but we are miserable and worthless without the gift that God gave us in our wives. Now, I just, uh, what, what a husband's love should look life like, and I'm only going to show two out of seven things, give you a preview. I'm going to talk to you. It will be the result of being spirit-filled. That's what it looks like. If you ever are going to love your wife like you should, you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit instead of yourself. Secondly, it will be submitted or yielded to God and to the needs of your wife. That's what love looks like. Third, it will sacrifice yourself. It will mean you sacrificing your time and your wants and even your needs sometimes. Love sacrifices and loses. Number four, it sanctifies. 
It cleans, it fixes, it heals, it helps, it doesn't hurt. Love satisfies your wife. The Bible says when a, when a man is unmarried, he can please the Lord. He can do everything, whatever God asks you to do. But when you get married, you got to do what your wife wants you to do. Really? Yes. Because now that you're married, real love pleases her. Same goes with the wife. When she's unmarried, she can just serve the Lord. She can just uh, be a help and bless people and go serve people. But when she's married, she's got to please him, her husband. So real love satisfies. Doesn't just, I bought you flowers. Oh, I got you this chocolate. She says, I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> you got to find out what actually does please her and make her happy. Number six, it is sorry for failures. We forget that. I forget it. Can I, can I admit that? Real love says I'm sorry. And number seven, it is steadfast and consistent like we're usually not. You know, Summed up, it is as Christ loved us. Except for being sorry for failures, that's what Christ is toward us. So, let's start in this first thing. Wow. A husband's love is a result of being spirit-filled. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't look at my list. I don't know why it's not clicking down. We'll just race ahead here. Ephesians 5, 18 says this. Gentlemen, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess but instead be filled with the Spirit. You know, if you're filled with the Spirit, there's no room for alcohol. So if you're sneaking around and you're trying to handle today's pressures with a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of drug, a little bit of prescriptions, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we're teetotalers here, amen? We do not drink because I don't want to have anything take the place of the Spirit of God. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, uh, Go to Galatians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I want to say this. A Christian man is not just one, is not just someone who's saved, but it is someone that is filled with the Spirit of God in them. Do you want to know how to love your wife? Now, we may forget this. Let me back up here for a second. If you're saved and you, you're like me, you tend to try to fix things in your home without God. You just jump in, you say, I got an idea. You, you, you've dealt with this before, and you forget to pray. You forget to say, God, I have no idea how to do with this thing. I just want to kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> but to be filled with the Spirit of God, gentlemen, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And you're afraid of that. You're afraid you'll become a fanatic. You're afraid that you might end up being a preacher. You're, you're afraid you might be called to Afghanistan as a missionary. You're afraid of being filled with the Spirit of God, but you cannot love your wife like you should until you are. Filled with the Spirit of God. Too many guys, too many married men turn to a can or to a bottle instead of to God when they have a problem at home. Too many guys get frustrated. Listen, a woman can talk forever, and a man can't listen forever. And many a woman, can I be honest, has driven a man to drink. And that's the truth. So be careful that we both, the man and the woman, become part of the problem. We get filled with drink and we destroy our home. We can be filled with sports wrapped up in it like an addict sometimes instead of time with their family and their home. It's great to interact with that thing, but sometimes we're so into sports we have no home. Some people are workaholics and they work and career is all they live for and their kids grow up and they go bye-bye and they go, who was that that just went out the door? <laughs> I don't remember them. You know, Jesus places inside of every believer himself. 
Now, he can't fit there physically, so he puts himself in you as the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to John 14. Jesus said, The Comforter will come, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. It only believes what it can see. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And after the resurrection, he shall be in you. Do you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't seek to live in a little tiny corner of your house like your mother-in-law. Okay? He wants to fill every hour of every day and every thought with his presence. Now, you're not going to ever, some of you are not going to be able to be at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I understand that. I'm going to be able to be soul winning uh, every Saturday. I understand that this is not striving for perfection, but you do have to walk with God every day and all day. Do you understand that? This is a church that does not just meet on Sunday. This is a church that tries to get you in the habit of walking with God every day. And if I could, I'd have church every day because I love church. It's my life. And I know uh, I quit working for the telephone company back in 1992. And I've worked my butt off ever since harder than ever before. But I get to do this full time. Some of you can't do this full time. But let me tell you, both of us has got to walk with God every day. We have to um, uh, John, what's your life verse? Isaiah. Go ahead. All right. So God gives you perfect peace when you are focused on him, when you're stayed, when you're locked on him. And throughout the day, you're walking with him. You've got to walk with God, gentlemen, or else you're going to blow it apart. Don't even... Do you, do you want to truly know how to love your wife? Then let the love of Christ affect you enough to love your wife like you should. You, when you're in your Bible, it ought to convict you. When you're praying and you're praying for your wife, it ought to affect you. When you're thinking about how much God loves you, it ought to affect you and turn you around and you should like uh, love on your wife. Let me tell you a great truth. The greatest commandment in the Bible is what? Thou shalt not kill, right? No, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your heart? All right. So if, Lord, I just love you with all my heart, how am I going to love my wife? God does something absolutely supernatural. When you love God first and with all of your being, all of a sudden you turn around and he gives you a ton of love for your wife. You go, I just gave it all away and now i got more. That's how God works. And if you're running dry that way, it's because you haven't been going that way. Start letting the Spirit of God mold and change your heart and your mind into Christ's way of thinking. Start reading your Bible like you were on the greatest quest of all time, looking for the power to live godly. Now, being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that you go around speaking in tongues or barking like a dog. It means living and loving and giving like Christ did. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit of God? You don't mind giving away things. You know how you're filled with the Spirit of God? You don't mind people saying stuff about you. It just flows off the back. It means being perfectly controlled by the Spirit of God, like, like these guys control these, these drones. You know, you see them. We were out at uh, the Cliffs of Moore there a couple weeks back. It seems like an eternity ago, doesn't it? You know, these guys have it. It says no drones, and still people would find those drones. But the wind blowing, those things are just following the directions of their controller. I wish I was like that with the Holy Spirit. I wish he could just go, and I would go, okay. Stop. Okay. Now go give her a hug, man. 
Amen. But I don't want to, Lord. She's been mean to me. <laughs> Ladies, let me talk to you. You need to pray and pray and pray for your man to be in church. Not nag and nag and nag. You need to pray that he's in his Bible every day. You need to pray that he yields constantly to the Holy Spirit of God because it's the only key to your man being a better man. You are not the answer to him being a better man. You're nagging, you're pushing, you're fighting, you're arguing, you're nagging, you're reminding, you're nagging will not work. Did I repeat any of that? None of you women said amen. Ladies, you need the Holy Spirit of God in your husband, filling him with the mind and the heart of Christ. There's no other way. You want your husband not just saved, but you want him walking in the Spirit, yielded to the quiet voice of the Spirit of God, convicted and guided by the Spirit, and transformed. Because God's Holy Spirit is a source of man's best love. It starts with the Spirit of God in your life, gentlemen. You say, what do I got to do? You got to spend time with God. You see, if you're all worried about what you got, well, my wife's upset, what do I do? Flowers, chocolate, dinner. <laughs> That's how we think, amen? Uh, take the kids away, um, give her the checkbook or the credit card. That's how we think when God says, spend some time with me. Why don't you get your heart right and maybe I can calm her down. Amen. Number two, husband's love submits to God and to others. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. What does a husband's love look like? It looks like a yield sign. It looks like you give in. 521 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, a Bible-leaving, born-again Christian husband is subject to two great powers over their life. We are subject to the authority of two great powers over our life. You ready for them? Number one, it is over the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we are subject to the needs of our family. These two great powers govern, govern our life now, gentlemen, or at least they should. We're not our own anymore. We don't have power to do just as we please, not if you're married. A man is subject, a man is subject to Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Hold in your place here. Go to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, but I would, have you to, I would have you know that the head of every man is who? All right, so he's got somebody over him, and the head of the woman is that man that she's married to, and the head of Christ is God. So, uh, so a Christian man is subject to Jesus Christ. I'd hate to ask if your wife would, would, would agree that you are that. I'd hate to ask, women, why don't you come over here and tell me, is your husband subject to Jesus Christ in your home? I think we'd all be very embarrassed, wouldn't we? You know, one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll have to admit that and own up to that. What does it mean to be subject? It means to be obedient to Christ's commands. Do you, do you just do what he says or do you argue with God? Do you ignore God's expectations of you? Are you doing whatever God says do? No matter how long it takes or how hard it is, that's what a man does. Christ expects us as husbands to obey this book. I don't, I, listen, we are, we are Bible first as Bible Baptist Church because as a church we're to be Bible doers. Not Baptist doers or church people. We are Bible doers. 
We're to obey this book from start to finish, not picking and choosing, but yielding to every word. Like a driver. You got some of you kids are, are um, um, uh, looking forward to driving one day. You know, to the terror of the parents, you're going to get that driver's license. You know how you're going to get that driver's license? By getting a little book and it says the suggestions of the road. <laughs> Doesn't say that, does it? You know how you're going to earn that license? By obeying the rules of the road. Now, gentlemen, we got married and we didn't know what the rules were. We didn't know what we were, what we were getting into. But I know this, God has some expectations of us and we need to obey the rules of God about how to treat our wives. That's key. The only way to love your wife right, gentlemen, is to love her out of obedience to Christ. Not because she just is getting prettier and prettier. Not because she never crosses you or aggravates you. She's the perfect wife. That's why I love her. But because she is God's gift to you and Jesus told you to love her. Amen. You say, I have to love her? Yeah, you have to love her. But what if I don't feel like it? You have to love her. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved you. Do you know what he decided on the day that he died on that cross? I love Craig Ledbetter, and I will never stop loving him. The moment he gets saved, he will finally receive my love, and, and he will enjoy it, and he will experience it, and he will grow in it, and I will never, ever, ever take it from him. Amen. Same goes in the home. You see, we men were real sweet when we first were engaged to or seriously dating our wife. Do you remember opening the door for your wife? Kevin, you remember opening the door? Amen. Do you remember carrying heavy things for her? Do you remember sitting, gentlemen, and listening to her for hours over coffee as she talked about everything she wanted to talk about? Remember that? You remember paying for every dinner? Honey, I'll take care of it. <laughs> do you remember asking her, what do you want to do tonight? Where can we go? What would you like to do? Do you remember that? You did all that because you knew it was the right thing to do, didn't you? You were subject to the basic law of attraction, and then you got married. And you went back to a pretty selfish, jerk kind of lifestyle that's not subject to anything but your belly. Look at Philippians chapter 3 in Ephesians. Go to, the, go to the right a few pages to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. You didn't know some of these verses. I'm going to show you over in the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk of whom I've told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of, cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is there. What a way to talk. The only thing they obey is their flesh. Amen? I hope you don't have a husband like that. I bet you he's sometimes like that. But it says, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in what they watch on television, is their shame, who mind only earthly things. Gentlemen, that's wicked. Can I tell you, gentlemen, that woman you're married to married the man you were. She fell in love with somebody, and she thought that somebody was going to get better and better, and we probably didn't. The biggest reason why people divorce today is because someone decides to rebel against their spouse. Not because they decided to rebel against God. I'm sorry, not to rebel against their spouse. I'm sorry, I have it reversed. 
They get the divorce because, not because they want to fight against their spouse, but because they decide to rebel against God and only think of themselves again. And the Bible says you can't do that. The Bible says you need to love her, and then you need to love her, and then you just you need to go, I got to love her, I got to love her, I got to love her. And we're subject to the needs of our family, especially to your wife. It doesn't mean that a man is dominated by his wife or his children, but that he's subject to their needs. Gentlemen, love is a choice, as we just learned there. To serve. That's what love is. The greatest thing you could do for your wife is to serve her. I know you married your wife believing in all the wonderful things she would do for you. Oh, she'll rub my feet. Oh, she'll rub my back. Oh, she'll fix me my favorite meals. Oh, she'll bring me the remote. Oh, the wife will let me be the head of the home. Oh, the wife will just make my life so wonderful. But true love serves the person you love. You know what I found? Most men only love themselves. And that's all we serve. Shame on us. A Christian husband is to be actively involved in the life and the problems of his family, not leaving it all to the wife. You go deal with it, honey. I'm watching Eastenders, Westbenders, Northsenders. A Christian husband is to be actively involved in the life and the problems of the family, not leaving it to the wife or to the mother-in-law. You're probably good at taking care of the physical needs of your wife. But how about the emotional needs? Hey, do you take your daughters out on dates and get to know them? You should. Do you even know if they're struggling with their view of themselves? Do you know if your girls are, your girls are interested in guys yet? Does your wife know that you care about how she feels? Do you make time just for her? You know, when you've got a full schedule, you need to bend it and say, I need to submit to her needs. That's love. And I'll ask this, are you even involved spiritually in the lives of your kids? Are you even aware if your kids are saved or lost? Do you even know if Junior loves God and is walking with God, is saved, or are they good? If they died tomorrow, would they go to hell and you regret it for all eternity? Gentlemen, do you know if, you've, if your kids have read their Bible in the last month outside of church or teen class? Do you even read the Bible with your children? Do you pray with them? Do you ask them to pray with you? Do you carry their burdens and hurts to God and intercede for them before, the, before God's throne? Does your wife ever see you pray without her prodding? Does she know that when she has a real need, you will stop at nothing until you meet that need? You know, that would, uh, a husband who is submitted to Jesus Christ and is submitted to the needs of his family. I don't know why this is not working. Oh, that died. One second. It'll make a great home. But you won't be able to do most of that unless you learn to sacrifice your time, your plans, your careers for them. When you start to submit, they're going to start taking your time. And that's the next point for next week. And that's where the word sacrifice comes in. But I'm going to stop with this thought. We've only learned about two ways that a Christian husband loves his wife from Ephesians chapter 5. We love as a result of being spirit-filled ourselves. You know what God's characteristic is? God is love. I think I can learn a lot from being filled with him. Number two, it is when I'm submitted and yielded first to God and then to the wife's needs. How does your love look? This message is supposed to get us to fight for our family. And that begins in the heart towards our wife. Men, would you like, sitting up, gentlemen, I'm through. 
Watch me real close. Would you like your wife, Kevin? Would you like your wife, Bill? Would you like your wife, let me fire it, somebody else, Rodell? Would you like your wife to follow and obey you as the church follows and obeys Jesus Christ? Then have the same care and sacrificial love for your wife like Jesus cares for you. Ladies, would you like your man to love you sacrificially like Jesus Christ loves you and died to obtain you? Then have the same respect for him like you do Jesus. When you put both of those attitudes together in a home, the results are marvelous. They will work. And you know what? The results don't need the other person to do right. Because the commandment is directed at you, isn't it? And if you get both of you doing right, heaven on earth. So love your wife, gentlemen. Whether she submits to you at all or not. Ladies, let me remind you to reverence your husband. Ephesians 5, look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you... In particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband, whether he's worthy of such respect or not. Now, honestly, I'm finished with the message, but I have to tell you the truth. Most of you won't even try this. Most of you will go, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> that arrogant, carnal, heartless hard-headed, stubborn attitude that you've got that has basically nearly destroyed your family needs to be dealt with. And you can deal with it right now. As we get ready for an invitation, you can actually say, Lord, help me. I'm terrified of humbling myself. I'm terrified of changing because I don't like who I am. I'm terrified of who I might become. Well, I only got one, one word for you. Jesus, you'll become like him. Don't you think we should try this? Don't you think we should take Ephesians chapter 5 pretty serious? We need a revival in our hearts, gentlemen. A change that, that drives us to actually love our wives like Christ loved the entire church, man. It won't happen without men getting saved. I'm glad, listen, we had a bunch of teenagers. Uh, we had several young men get saved at camp. We had a camp full of men. We had a lot of things, emphasis on men, not just girls and young ladies, young men getting right with God and, and, and taking their, their spiritual life and their, their physical purity seriously. We need that, folks. We need some men in our church. Stand up and say, if, it, if, if the salvation of my home and if the protection of my home requires me to learn how to love my wife, I'd better pay attention. Let me ask you, gentlemen, are you even saved? Are you born again? Do you even know what that means? Are you filled with, or at least seeking earnestly to be filled with the Spirit of God? It'll show. People will be able to tell because they'll see you reading your Bible. They'll see you coming to church early and going, amen in church. Filled with the Spirit brings you in line with the Spirit of God, loving the things of God. And it'll show on your face. I can tell if you're filled with the Spirit or filled with the devil. Amen. Don't try to fool anybody. Just seek, just yearn, and beg God to help you to love your wife. You say, I wish I was married. You know, this will prepare you. I, I, I thank God for my pastor. I was, I was in a church for a year before I went off to Bible college, and then we were learning all kinds of things, but my pastor taught me to be a young man. In a lot of ways, taught me to stand up straight, not slouch.
I was in the preaching. He taught me about cutting my hair. He taught me about saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I hadn't had a dad since I was 11 years old. And I needed somebody to teach me how to love my wife. And he'd preach on it, and I would go, I don't get it, I don't understand it. But boy, all those things went in there, and they helped. They helped. Let's pray. Father, I've done my best this morning <clears throat> to talk to the men. And there are so many areas in a man's life that are, that are twisted and perverted by this world. There are images and thoughts in the minds and the hearts of the men, even though we're saved, that cloud and block the truths, the simple truths of the Bible. I pray against those things right now. I pray you free us from the bondage of all our stupidity and our stubbornness and our past. I pray for revival, God. I pray that men take it seriously, that before we do anything else to try to fix our home, we gotta, we gotta get right with mama. We gotta humble ourselves and start loving her like we should. And God, I pray that mama lets her husband work through this thing and doesn't expect perfection from him. Prays for him and waits on him and is patient with him and loves him anyway, honors him anyway. God, please don't let the devil get a foothold in our homes anymore. I pray men stand up to the devil, stand up to the temptations, be the hero again in our homes. I pray we do right because a long time ago, one man did right. It was the God-man, Jesus Christ. He became a man, and he, of his own choice, loved me and kept loving me all the way to the cross. And he can't stop loving me. And he honors me, and he listens to me, and he helps me, even though I'm unworthy. And the way that you have loved me, Lord, I want to love my wife because that'll save a home, and that'll fix a nation, and that'll especially fix our kids. So, Lord, I, I, I just thank you for this message this morning. Help it to nail deep in our hearts. If there's somebody who's not saved, they have no idea what it means to be born again, or they're afraid of it, or they're confused by it, God, today's the day of salvation. I pray you in their heart of hearts, you convict them that they're a sinner, they're lost, they may love their wife, they may love their kids, but they have no idea how to do it like Christ does. And they need to get saved. And they could do it today. Don't leave it for the kids to get saved. Men, get born again today. All you got to do is just, with all your heart, believe and cry out, Lord, save a wretch like me. And he will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.